before we jump into the sermon. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Pray, dear God, once again for the people right now who are under that hurricane, Irma. Pray that you would protect them. God, that you would use us, this church, in a powerful way to impact the lives uh, of those who are being so um, devastated right now. God, uh, we just pray that you go before us, that you would uh, align us with a church that could use our help. And I just pray, dear God, that that relationship would be meaningful and that we would be used by you to, uh, to build your kingdom and to affect people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're continuing um, our series called By Design. And this morning, I'm going to look at another one of our five purposes, okay, worship. We have worship, then connect, grow, serve, and reach the world, okay? So we're, this morning, we're going to look at that whole, uh, this whole idea of worship. We all live a life of worship. So that's nice to think about, right? We all live a life of worship. The only question is, what do we worship? So you think, oh yeah, I live a life of worship. Everyone on this planet lives a life of worship. But the question is, what do we worship? So right up front, I want to I focus on two key truths. Number one, first, we worship something whether we recognize it or not. I don't care who it is. I don't care if people deny God completely. You worship something. We were designed by God to worship. So if we deny God, we worship something. The only question is, what do we worship? And second, we reflect or become like what we worship. All right? We reflect or become like what we worship. You see different people and they have, you say, that person's very whatever. All right? Most of the time, they're that way because they, what they worship, they reflect. So if we worship money, we become a greedy person. If we worship power, we become a corrupt person. If we worship self, we become an arrogant person. If we worship our possessions, we become a materialistic person. If we worship sex, we become a selfish or, or, or lustful person. And if we worship Jesus, we become a Christ-like person. We become like that which we worship. So as we move forward, here's what I want to do. I want to look at the life of Abraham. I want to look at the life of Abraham to help us get a better understanding of what it means for you and I to live a life of worship, studying the life of Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. 75. And I say this all the time, right? As long as you're still breathing, God's going to use you. All right, so he's 75 years old when he's called. The Bible says that Abraham was God's friend. Now, I'm, just, I'm sorry, but when I, when I first read that, I was like, wow, what a title to have, right? You, you, your title is you're God's friend. God's friend. I mean, we are, we are, we are a friend of God, obviously, the, you know, with, with Jesus Christ. We have Jesus Christ living in us, so we are friends of God. But then, can you imagine that's what the Bible calls you? God's friend? As you study the life of Abraham we find that he's not perfect. Abraham is not a perfect man, right? There were a lot of ups and downs in his life. He started with an up, if you will. God called him to leave his homeland, and Abraham left his homeland to go to a place where he had no, he'd never been there before. So he'd never experienced that before, but he left anyway. That takes a lot of faith. But he also faced a lot of failures in his life. 
A lot of failures. He had a child named Ishmael by Sarah's handmaid, um, Hagar. So that was a failure. That was a struggle that he faced. More than once, if you remember the life of Abraham, more than once he lied, okay? He lied about Sarah and said that Sarah, his wife, was his sister to protect himself, to cover himself. God had designed him for a purpose, though. And through all these ups and downs, God had designed him for a purpose and God was molding him and God was shaping him into the father of a nation. Abraham's walk with God was authentic. That's, I mean, honestly, there's, there's not much better you can say about a person, but Abraham's walk with God was authentic. I don't know about you, but I love when the Bible tells the whole story of a person's life, right? And sometimes people read that and say, oh, I can't believe the person did that. I can't believe the Bible's saying that and condoning that. It's not condoning it. It's just telling the truth. And I love when the Bible tells the whole story about a person, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because everyone who's been in their walk with God for a long time, right, knows there's the good and the bad and the ugly in your own spiritual walk. If the Bible only told the highlights, it's like, it'd be like if this were Facebook or something. You look on Facebook and you see, oh, look at their marriage. Oh, look at their family. Oh, look at their vacations. Oh, look at, that's the highlight. They give all the highlights of their lives on Facebook, right? Even when they go to the supermarket. Oh, look how she's dressed going to the supermarket. I wish I could dress like that going to the supermarket. You know what I'm saying? They just give the highlights. But the Bible gives the whole story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, for one, appreciate that. Because I know in my spiritual journey since 1980, there's been some good, there's been some bad, there's been some ugly. And I'm able to relate, I'm really able to relate to people like Abraham. God was preparing and teaching Abraham through all of these experiences. And now it was time to put all of, the, all of these years of development to the ultimate test. The ultimate test. The time in the life of Abraham that I want to look at this morning is when Abraham was around 115 years old and his son Isaac was around 16 years old. We find their story in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. You remember the story, right? Some of you don't like the story. So God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac and offer up his son Isaac, sacrifice his son Isaac. So Abraham goes to the place where God told him to make the sacrifice and he gets everything set up. In Genesis 22, verse 5, it says this. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I find it interesting that we will come back to you. So the Hebrew word for worship in this verse here is Sheshaw, all right? It is the, the, the idea of worship, the concept of worship was used earlier than, than, this, than this passage, but this was the first time that that Hebrew word, that word was used in all of Scripture. And that, that, what that means is, it means to bow down, to prostrate oneself, okay? To, to just kind of, to go face down on the ground and, and to worship God in that way. It was, an, it was an act, if you will, it was an act of respect to fall down in and, and, and submission to God. 
That's what the word means. That's the first time it was ever used where you have this idea of going to your knees or falling flat on your face or bowing down in respect and awe of God. That's the word. That's the first time it's used. And it's absolutely amazing. Worship means worship. It, it's giving God his due. It's, it's being in awe of God. It's, it's just saying, God, you, you're, you're a God of miracles, right? We're singing that song. You're a God of miracles, It's being in awe of God. Worship is an expression of service to God. And here's the thing. Not just in a church setting. Because that's what what people think. It's in a church setting. We worship God in a church setting. But this word means that we worship God in every setting, in every area of our lives. At work, at home, at school, when we're on the field. It doesn't matter. When you're about to close that business deal, when you're interacting with that other person in business, and how you treat them. You are to worship God in every situation of your life. You're to have this reverence and awe of God, right? Because when we worship God, when we worship Jesus, we become, we reflect Jesus. We become more Christ-like. got to ask yourself to be really honest, right? When you're in those different situations at work, at school, at home, when you're in the lunchroom at school, how do you treat the person who's sitting over there by themselves? You join in and tease them and throw little, you know, things at them and, you know, because at least it's not happening to you. See, when when you're a follower of Jesus, when you worship Jesus, you become more Christ-like. And you handle that situation the way Jesus would handle that situation. In John 4:23 it says this, but an hour is coming And now is when the true worshiper shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for such people. The father seeks to be his worshipers. God is always looking for worshipers for this, this type of worshipers. God wants to use. He's looking for. He's honestly, he's trying to develop this type of person through our experiences in life. And Abraham was this type of person. Was he perfect? Not by a long shot. But by examining this, this, this test of faith, if we examine as a, as a body of Christ this test of faith, we gain some insight into how we, can, how we can make worship a part of our everyday lives. How do we make worship? Not just something that happens on Sunday morning or maybe at a Bible study or whatever, but how do we make worship, right? We talked about the last, a few months ago, living in the presence of God. Remember that book we read, The Presence of God? How do we live in the presence of God all the time? Trying to bring God into every situation of our lives. You know, you say things like that and and people sometimes think you're just going overboard. He's going overboard. <laughs> I'm not going overboard. I'm telling you exactly what God expects. This is, this is, I'm actually, I'm maybe not going far enough, if you will, with what the word of God says and the way we're supposed to interact with God. This is what Abraham was doing. And we can learn from his experience with God, his experience with Isaac here and what God was asking him to do. So in verse one, we learn that God, this is what we can learn. God tests the hearts of his worshipers to gauge their spiritual maturity. God tests the hearts of his worshipers, that's us, okay? He tests the hearts of his worshipers to to gauge their spiritual maturity. After the fall, genuine, true worship 
okay, was not a given, okay? It was no longer given. Our sinful nature now affected our worship or lack thereof. Our sinful nature affects our worship. It's why, it's why we, we struggle and, and fall short sometimes in the way God truly wants us to worship. We fall short in that area because our sinful nature sometimes gets in the way. Moses instructed Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. He says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. The Hebrew word here for test, it means to try. It means to prove. It means to put to the test or put to the proof. To try it, to test it, to refine it. All of those words that we've, we've, know, we've come to know. This verb carries with it the idea of testing the, the, something, uh, some, the, the genuineness of someone through a challenging situation. So that's what the word pretty much means. It means to test someone's genuineness through a challenging situation. You're put through a challenging situation. How do you respond? How do you respond when you lose your job? How do you respond when things don't go your way in, in business, for example? You're working on things don't go your way. And you prayed about it. Oh, Lord, I pray this would come through. How do you respond? How do you respond when you go through challenge, when you go through loss, when you don't get the whatever? whatever you, you, pick, you pick the scenario. How does Jeff Greer respond when he goes through situations that are challenging? This is what this is talking about, this idea of testing. How do we, how do we, how do we walk through those times? And this is really important to understand, okay? This is extremely important to differentiate these two things. There's a big difference between testing and tempting. Because some people, they get it confused. They go through something and they go through it. Well, God was, God was testing me. There's a difference between testing and temptation. In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, it tells us, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when by their, they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We'll see the same thing in a couple minutes in Cain's offering. Abel and Cain and Abel. You will see the exact same thing, if you will, in Cain's, in Cain's offering. See, our tests come, on the other hand, from the Lord, who, who, is, who has purposed us, who has, who has a special purpose to fulfill in us. God doesn't tempt us. God tempts us. I mean, he tests us. And God tests us because he has a purpose to fulfill in our lives. He has designed us for a specific purpose. Every person in this room has been designed for a specific purpose. And God will sometime test us. Why? To refine us, to prepare us for what is to come. There's a good, there's a, a real exciting part to that, but there's also a, mm, what if we fail these tests and fail the tests and fail the tests? See, Abraham had been tested from the beginning of his walk with God. Why? Because God was going to make them, make him the father of a nation. He was going to make Abraham, the, did Abraham know that? No, he didn't. 
But Abraham, God was going to make Abraham the father of a nation. So from the very beginning, God was testing Abraham all along the way. And he passed some of those tests. And he also failed some of those tests. As he went through the spiritual journey, he passed and he also failed. You know, he passed the test when he was willing to leave his homeland and go to a place he'd never been before. Tough. That's really tough. Can you imagine? You know, you think about it, you're all settled in. This is this is where you live. You live in Mason or you live in Westchester or you live in Lebanon or Kings area or Mainville. You live there, man. Your roots are planted. This is it. Your house, your kids. And, and all of a sudden, you're, if you will, you're called to be uprooted and go somewhere you've never been before. It's a lot of faith. He also passed the test when, 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 uh, when he had all these the herds, right? He and Lot had all these herds uh, and, and uh, there wasn't enough uh, uh, pasture land for them. So he passed the test of selflessness when he told Lot he could have first choice of the pasture, pasture lands. He said, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So he passed that test. He was selfless in that way. But like I said earlier, he failed the test by his lack of faith with Hagar, right? Having a child with Hagar. He failed that test. He also failed the test when he went to Egypt when there was a famine for help. In Genesis chapter 12 and 13, it talks about he, how he went to Egypt during a famine to get help there. So he failed, if you will, some, some of those earlier tests. My question to you, has, have you ever really considered that some of the experiences in your life are a test? See, we, again, we, uh, we got the temporal, we got the eternal and the temporal. And sometimes we live in this, in the, the, the here and now and forget that we, we really live, we should really have an eternal perspective. If you have an eternal perspective, then you realize that some of the things, some of the things, some of the experience that you go through in your life are a test. Now, I said some, not all, not all the things that we go through in our lives um, are a test. Many things happen in this life because we live in a fallen and sinful world. God is not the author of sin. So if someone abused you in the past, for example, that is not God testing you. Let's see how they handle this. God is not the author of sin. Okay, so some things happen in our lives that God, God didn't say, oh, I'm going to have this person abuse that person. That's, that's, that, that, God is not the author of sin. God can then use, if that happens in this sinful world, in this fallen world, if he, he can use those things to strengthen us if we draw close to him. But I want to make a clear you know, distinction the way God tests us. In other cases, though, God uses... Our friends, our family, our co-workers, and even our own faith to test us. God, God uses our own faith sometimes to test us. God's tests are usually focused on the individual. All right? God's very specific. He focuses on the individual. Each test is often unique to each person. And they are, listen, they are designed to refine us for future use. That's what we have to remember. 
They are, they are, they were designed, they are designed by God in my life to refine me for future use. God has a plan for my life. God may have a dynamic, He does have a dynamic plan for my life. He has a, He has a plan for your life. And sometimes those tests are designed to refine you for future use. That's why I asked, do you ever think about the fact that the experience that you go through in life sometimes, the difficult experiences that you face in life, maybe God testing you. Why? Because he's designed you with a specific purpose and he needs to refine you for future use. He is not going to put me in a situation he knows I'm not able to handle. Just not going to do it. If he's got something for me, he, he wants to refine me so that I'm prepared to accomplish what God has for me. In Job 23.10, it says this, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Love that verse. In James 1, 2, and 3, it says, Consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of my faith produces perseverance. I live in a fallen, sinful world. This, is, this world is not easy. In order for me to accomplish what God has for me, I need to be stronger. You want to get stronger? You need to work out. You need to get in the gym. Oh, I'm going to do my, one of my goals, and I'll tell you when I accomplish this. One of my goals, and you think, well, I can do that, is to do 10 strict pull-ups. Not like this, but like that. I want to do 10 strict pull-ups. And I realize that if I'm going to do that, number one, it's going to be muscle memory, and it's going to take me a lot of, ex, a lot of, a lot of work. So I started doing it. I do four at a time. I do four, sets of four, or three or four, whatever. Try to do that, and I'll, I'll do some of the rowing, and then I'll get back onto that. And that's my goal, ten. If I want to accomplish that goal down the road, okay, I need to work out really hard on this end. And I will accomplish that goal. I will be able to do ten. Now that I said in front of all you, now I have to make it a reality. I will accomplish that. How will I accomplish that? I'll work really hard. If we want to be used by God to the fullest, to all that God has for us, we need to be willing to see life sometimes, all the things that we go through as a test. And God can use us. If we're going to live a life of worship, we need to understand, listen, if you are going to live a life of worship, you need to understand you will be tested. It is not evil. It is not wrong. Okay? To discipline people is not evil, is not wrong. To, to, to bring people, if, if God's discipline of us, if you think, oh, it's not right, that's not fair, I wish you would stop as a parent telling your children what to do. Those poor, poor kids. Leave them alone. Let them eat what they want. Let them run where they want. Let them go where they want. Let them say what they want. You don't do that because you're refining your children because you know at this point in their lives, if they behave like a three-year-old or two-year-old, when they get in their position, when they get into their job, it isn't going to work out too well for them. You know if they behave this way with their spouse, their spouse is not going to be so forgiving as their mom is. Right? And so you tell your child, if you behave that way later on in life, your boss is going to fire you, your wife or your husband is going to be real upset with you. This is not going to fly. And you curb those behaviors. That's what God is doing to us. Why? Because he's preparing us. We believe that our children are going to do great things in this world, so we prepare them. 
We don't know what they're going to do. We just assume what they might do. God knows what he designed us for. So he's preparing us for those things. So the next time you go through a challenging uh, situation, you need to keep that in mind. Okay, keep that in mind. As soon as actually, here's what you want to do. Pray. And you're all going to be like, that's crazy. No, listen to me. Pray that God would put you through a challenging situation. He's going to anyway. All right. He's going to anyway. So what you want to do is you want to be preemptive. You want to pray. You say, God, put me through a challenging situation. Don't end it there and say, God, make me aware of that and help me to overcome it. Help me to handle that challenging situation when it comes in a way that glorifies you and that strengthens my walk so that you can use me in the future. That's your prayer. The challenges are going to come because you live in a fallen world and you have a God who loves you and is going to put you through tests sometimes. It's going to happen. Okay, there's no avoiding it at all. So why not just be right up front, be proactive and say, God, put me through a challenging situation and give me the strength to the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to overcome that. So I'm a better use to you in the future. Do that. I mean, have that because how you handle the trials and tests in your life may determine, listen, how God can and will use you in the future. So if you honestly, I'll just be honest, if you want to be used by God, if you're just want to be mediocre, if you want to be a mediocre Christian, just kind of live your life and go right across, just get carried along by whatever, whichever way the, the, you know, the stream goes. If that's what you want, don't pray that prayer. And, and don't, don't, don't. And next time you have a trial or whatever else, just kind of do your normal thing. And I can assure you that in the future, God is not going to use you like he would have. That's just biblical reality. Biblical reality. See, here's the thing. I don't want to sell you a, a, a faith that is easy believism. All right. When I say easy believism, I, I, I made a decision a long time ago that I would not water down the word of God so that it made people more comfortable or made me more comfortable. Come up with a theology in my mind where it's all healthy and wealthy and everything's good and everything great's going to happen to you. All you have to do is believe this or believe that and, and hold on, claim this or whatever else. I, I refuse to, talk, to, to teach easy believism so everyone feels good about themselves. So I want to be right up front and say that if you choose to live a life of worship, okay, if you choose to live a life of worship, it will cost you. It will cost you. I want to live a life of worship. When I say that, I want to live in the presence of God. I want to stand before the Lord and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to give God everything I have and go out in a blaze of glory. And if I'm going to say that, then I have to understand that it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me. In verse 2, it says, And God said, Take your son, your only son. Listen to these words. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. I believe, and I've always believed this, and I think I'm absolutely right, that this passage is a foreshadowing, okay, of what God the Father, God the Father and his love would do by sacrificing his son Jesus Christ for us on the cross. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's a foreshadowing. The whole Old Testament, so much of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Christ, of the Messiah, of the coming of the Messiah. I also believe that your willingness to sacrifice matters to God. Just if you've come to church for the first time, Isaac's okay, okay? He doesn't get sacrificed, all right? But 
But your willingness, your willingness, your heart, your willingness to sacrifice, it matters to God. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, it tells us that Abel gave God his best and Cain did not. Okay, And then in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 4, it says this, By faith Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Why? Why? Why is that? Because Cain allowed his sinful nature to to affect his worship. I'm going to read you a passage and you want, I want you to write this down because the very end is just so powerful. Genesis four, five through seven, it says this. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. God didn't look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then God said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is not right, listen, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Is that not, is that not incredible? The reality of life? It says sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must, you must rule over it. If we are going to be people of worship, we need to realize that our sinful nature is going to constantly pull us away from worshiping God or giving God our half-hearted offering. Well, you know, I, I know the Bible says that we should give an offering back to God, that we should give financial resources back to God, but yeah, well, you know, I'll give them this much or I'll give them, you know, it's just... Because I need or I want or they don't really have. Well, I don't know what they're going to use it for. And all, the, all these reasons come into your head, right? Or God really can't use me the same way you use somebody else. So I don't need. They don't really need me to get involved. They don't really. Jesus often asked his disciples to give up their relationships, to give up their jobs, right? To come and follow him. They said he basically to me, it was a necessity for them to do that sometimes in order to come and follow him. Now, he may not be asking us to do that, but I'm going to tell you something. Our life of worship will cost us something. He may not be asking you to give up your job or give up your family or give up other relationships or give up this or give up. But our if we choose to be worshipers, true worshipers, God is looking for people who are who have worship him in spirit and in truth. If you're going to be a worshiper who worships him in spirit and in truth, it's going to cost you. In Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus said it was moved, right? When the widow came up, all these people getting all their money up front and saying, oh, look at me, look at me, chink. And they kind of pour it in there nice and slow. And this is what they would do. And all the money would go in there. Everybody's looking at, oh, that's a lot of, oh, it's still going. Oh, it's still going. Look at that guy. Jesus is like, then the widow comes up and gives her might, and he is absolutely moved. Why? Because she had the sacrifice. It was the last of what she had. She was literally putting her life in God's hands. That's all that she had, and she was willing to give it up to God. David, I love this too. David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. Think about it, guys. I don't want to make you too uncomfortable. That's not true. I don't want to make you too uncomfortable. But think about this for a second, okay? David's saying, I will not make a burnt offering to the Lord, which costs me nothing. When you give or when you sacrifice of yourself or whatever the case may be, when you're sacrificing to God, is it really a sacrifice? 
When you're giving your offering, and I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about all across the board yourself. When you're giving that offer, is it really, a, is it a, I read that passage and I'm saying to myself, wow, you know, you think the Old Testament, how does that apply to me, burnt offering? No, it applies to me very, very well, thank you very much. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. I don't know about you, but that personally has a profound impact on my life. The command... The command, think about this, the command may have been to sacrifice Isaac, but I'll tell you something, in my opinion, Isaac has nothing to do with it. This story is not about Isaac. Never was, never going to be. The, the, the command to offer Isaac really wasn't about Isaac. God really was asking Abraham to sacrifice himself. That's what he was offering. That's really, that's really a sacrifice. It was about Abraham. He had to sacrifice. Abraham was being challenged, was being tested to sacrifice his own desires. Think about what he had to do, how old he was and how old Sarah was when they had Isaac. Think about what he had to do to get Isaac, and now he's being asked to give him up? This makes no sense whatsoever. No, to Abraham, it would make, in a sense, it would make no sense. Now he's being asked to give him up. He had to sacrifice his own will in order to follow God's will. See, to me, remember that sermon back when we talked about it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? But if not, this was Abraham's but if not moment, wasn't it? Take your son Isaac, your, your son, your only son, the one you love, which is exactly what he says about Jesus. This was Abraham's but if not moment. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went before Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar said, you will do this or I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace and you're going to get torched like you wouldn't believe. You're dead, you're toast. Never to be heard from again. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, our God's going to save us, but even if he does not, we will not do what you're asking us to do. But if not, Abraham had no idea how this was going to end. But he did exactly what God commanded him to do. He ultimately passed the, he passed the ultimate test. He passed that but if not test. Every single one of us has either had that test in our lives or will have that test in our lives. We stand before whoever it is, our boss or our families or whatever else, and they're telling us if we don't do such and such or so and so, and we have to say, you know, God can restore me from all this. God can save me from all this. But if not, but even if he does not, even if God doesn't fix this for me, I will not do what I'm being asked to do. Because why? Because I am a true worshiper of God. I worship him in spirit and in truth. Living a life of worship will cost you. It may cost you your time. It may cost you your talents. It may cost you your treasure or how you use those things. Think about that just for a moment. It may cost you your time, your talents, and your treasures or how you use those things. It may cost you your relationships. It may cost you your job or, or your career. It, it, it may cost you, honestly, the music that you choose to listen to or the movies or TV shows that you choose to watch. God says that we need to critically evaluate all these things. It may, if you're a gamer, it may choose, it, you may have to give up the game, some of the games that you're watching. 
I don't know. I have no idea what it is for you. But if you're going to be a true worshiper of God, God is going to impress upon your heart those things that are going to cost you that you're going to have to give up in order to truly worship him. See, but you've been designed. All of us have been designed with a purpose. And the testing of our faith produces a maturity that is necessary to accomplish that purpose. You've all been designed by God with a purpose. And the testing of our faith produces the maturity necessary to fulfill that purpose. I didn't say it was going to be easy. I just said that's the truth. That's the truth. Do you want to be the person? You want to be the man, the woman, the teenager, the child that God has created you to be? Then it's going to cost you something. He may test you, but you know, you go through that test and the strength that God gives you, you can overcome that. In Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. People ask me all the time, Pastor Jeff, what's God's will for my life? What is God's purpose for my life? You want to know your will and purpose, God's will and purpose for your life? Worship him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time we can spend together. And God, we know these are, these are difficult lessons for us to learn, but what you offer in our response to worship you is far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. So we pray, dear God, that you give us the strength to be worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Give us the strength to do that. And God, once you've given us the strength to make it through those difficult tests that sometimes we have to face, we pray that we would be open vessels, ready to be used by you in whatever way you choose, because we know that is the most dynamic life we could possibly live. In Jesus' name, amen. See you back here at our night of worship tonight. Come back and worship at 5 o'clock. We'll eat and we'll worship.